Well, we're coming down to home stretch. We only have this weekend and next weekend left uh, to finish our series in the book of Daniel, where we have been looking at prophecy and specifically talking about the future and what it holds for us. And as we've been doing that, we've been using this whole uh, title behind the scenes because, in a sense, we're looking behind what's going on with the world events to discover what our God is up to. And we've been gaining a lot of encouragement by doing that. At least I know I have. I feel like there's such hope for the future because I know that God's in control. And I know that in the end, God wins. And that means everybody who is a follower of his is going to win too. And then I also know that even though times of deception are going to come upon the world, and really it's been here for a long time, If I have God's word and I have the truth, he's given me enough to know the course and the direction that I need to follow. And I'm excited about that. And I'm glad that he's given me that kind of confidence. And I hope that you feel the same way as well. And as we continue to move through this series, in just these next couple of messages as we wrap Daniel up, there's still more for us to understand and to gain in terms of insight about future events. Now, I want to remind everyone here that we've kind of agreed that we don't have all the details about the end times. And we have to be careful sometimes that we don't fill in the blanks of the things that are missing or the things that are confusing and say, this is absolutely the way it's going to be because we might get surprised in the end. But more than likely, what's going to happen is as we move closer to the return of our Lord, things that seem kind of fuzzy to us now are going to get clearer and clearer. In fact, a lot of prophecy is really understood best after it's happened. So we should be always studying prophecy. We should always be reading God's word. Even though we may not understand it right off the bat, it's going to become clear for us. So I want you to turn to the last chapter of the book of Daniel whether you're here or at the 111th campus. And uh, that's chapter 12, and we're going to get our start there, all right? So open your Bibles or whatever contraption you have that has the Word of God in it, and uh, let's get going. In Daniel chapter 12, we have the culmination of a vision that was given to Daniel back in chapter 10. Daniel, who'd been through a time of kind of mourning, thinking about his people and the plight that they were in and wondering what the future was, uh, had also been fasting. He was in a partial fast and he was walking along the Tigris River with some companions when this, when this marvelous uh, angelic messenger approached him in a vision and had so terrified his companions that they all ran. And Daniel was so terrified that he fell flat on his face and he fainted. And that angelic being actually picked him up and spoke these words to him, beginning in chapter 10, verse 14. It says, Daniel, I am here to explain what will happen to your people in the future. For this vision concerns a time yet to come. So the angelic messenger saying to Daniel, I want to tell you about something that's going to happen in the future in a time that is yet to come. Then in chapter 11, he begins to review with Daniel a lot of what we've already studied in Daniel itself, kind of a a, a history of the succession of nations. And then he spends a lot of time talking to Daniel about what's going to take place, and we know this now today, when Alexander the Great 
dies and his kingdom is broken up amongst four generals. And it particularly talks a lot about the battle between the, the dynasty to the north and the dynasty to the south, leading all the way up to this evil man that we've been talking about named Antiochus Epiphanes, who tries to exterminate the Jews but is finally defeated. And then in verse 36, he makes kind of a switch. And in verse 36, he starts to talk about the Antichrist. That takes us to chapter 12 then and verse 1, where it says, listen to these words, At that time, Michael the archangel who stands guard over your nation will arise. So the time that he's talking about here is that time when the Antichrist is present. So take out your uh, Crayolas or whatever you're going to use and let's kind of go back to our our graphic that we've been using here. I want you to imagine once again that this line that you see represents the last seven years of Earth's history. This is the 70th week of Daniel that we've been talking about. And we know that during this time, there's a character, a sinister character that emerges that we think of as the Antichrist. And he broke us a three and a half year peace agreement with Israel. And uh, Israel is lulled into trusting, the Jews are lulled into trusting him, and they kind of let down their guard, and perhaps it appears from uh, scriptures that they will actually rebuild the temple there on the Temple Mount, it'll be an amazing peace process that's brokered, and then all of a sudden we learn that he's going to turn against them, and he's going to be revealed at this point in time, as Paul talked about last weekend when we looked at the first two letters to Thessalonians, first and second Thessalonians. It's going to become very obvious right here that the Antichrist is trying to take over the world and he's demanding now that the Jews turn their allegiance to him and away from God. Remember, he is demonically inspired. He is Satan's prodigy. He is anti-God. He is the Antichrist. And at that moment, what happens is there's a great time of persecution directed toward the Jews and to all believers that we think of as the great as the great tribulation Jesus speaks about this in Matthew chapter 24 and we spent two weekends looking at that passage of scripture where he talks about how it is a time that is unprecedented in history in Matthew 24 21 and 22 and he says there'll never be a time like it again. It's a terrible time. It's a dangerous time. And if God did not cut that time short, it says, nobody, nobody would survive. But God cuts that time short, Jesus says. And as we read Paul last weekend in First and Thex and Second Thessalonians, it appears that this is the time, and Jesus makes this clear, I think, in Matthew chapter 24 as well, that the Lord returns and the church is raptured up to him. Following that time is a period of wrath where God pours out his wrath on the world. During this period of time, it is man's wrath, it is Satan's wrath to the Antichrist against God's people, both Jews and, Jew and uh, Gentile believers. In this time, though, this time is actually God pouring his wrath out against the unbelieving people. The church believers have been raptured out. There is a remnant of Jews who are protected during this time. We think of them in 
the book of Revelation is 144,000 who are sealed and kept by God during this time. When we do our series in the book of Revelation next year, we'll talk more in detail about that. So why all that big summary? Because in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1, we're talking about the time and this is the time that we're referring to. It is this time that Michael the archangel takes his stand or arises. Let's look at the passage again, Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Michael, the archangel, who stands guard over your nation, will arise. Now, who is Michael, the archangel? Well, I can tell you, first of all, that he's one of God's greatest angels in heaven who serves God faithfully. And he has a specific responsibility. And his responsibility is to defend Israel, to defend the Jews. And he's been doing that throughout history. Let me show you what I mean. Come back to Daniel chapter 10 with me, if you will. And if you guys could just take off the sharpness from my mic and get a lot of echo back, I'd appreciate that. Daniel chapter 10, all right? Here's what it says here, beginning in verse 13. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me. And I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. So this angelic messenger is on his way to Daniel to kind of answer Daniel's prayers. And while he's on his way, he's hindered by a demonic power known as the prince of Persia. Don't get confused with the movie that came out with the same title, all right? And this demonic uh, prince is trying to interfere with with the uh, uh, dispatch of this angel to speak to Daniel. And he says to us that Michael, the archangel, came to help me. And I left him there with the spirit of the kingdom of Persia. So it's like there's this battle now that's taking place between the forces of God and the forces of Satan. Then when you come down to verse 20 through 21, we get some more insight. It says, soon I must return to fight against the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. And after that, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Greece will come. Meanwhile, I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one helps me. No one helps me against these spirit princes except Michael, your spirit prince. I have been standing beside Michael to support and strengthen him since the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede. So, This angelic messenger tells us that Michael is in particular one who protects and defends the Jewish people, Israel. It's a bizarre passage of scripture, isn't it? I mean, it's really otherworldly, but it's nonetheless the truth. And the reality is that even even this weekend, all around us is a spiritual battle that's taking place, a cosmic battle between the forces of evil and the servants, the angelic servants of God. And that battle rages. And for what we understand in Scripture, it's a high-level battle. You see, when Satan rebelled against God, he was well-organized. There were angels that joined him in rebelling against God. And they were dispelled from God's immediate presence there in what we think of as the throne room of heaven. They were rejected. They were put away. And Satan has been in an organized battle against God Ever since then. And he is very well organized. And from the scriptures what we understand is. He actually has demons who are in charge of nations, states, 
perhaps cities, and even communities whose responsibility is in any way possible to influence the world against God and to move the world towards Satan as the one who will rule. The Bible says Satan is the God of this world. Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 tells us about this strange world and this cosmic battle. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 it says a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places." And that's why it's so important that we come together periodically to pray like this coming Tuesday. Because prayer is one of the weapons that we have against the enemy. It's one of the powerful tools that God has given us to do battle against these unseen forces and to see them defeated. But when we don't take prayer seriously and when we don't take the demonic realm seriously, we become victims of it. Because Satan is always looking for an opportunity through the media, through politics, through whatever, through the educational system, through whatever means he can to influence us away from God, to raise his fist against God, so to speak. He'll even try to infiltrate the church if he can. So we always, always need to be men and women of prayer and men and women of the word. Those are our primary tools against Satan and his crafty ways. And if you believe in the end times like I do and believe what the scripture says about the end times, then you need to know there's an invisible battle that's going on all around us. And Michael, the archangel, is very much a part of that. Listen carefully. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Michael, the archangel, who stands guard over your nation, will arise. Now, specifically, when does that happen? I want you to take your Bibles, and I want you to turn to the very last book of your Bible, which is the book of what? <clears throat> Revelation. Very good, all right? And I want you to turn to chapter 12 of the book of Revelation, to an incident that takes place in the heavenlies, all right? And involves Michael the archangel, and I think it's going to give us some insight into what Daniel's talking about here when it says that Michael the archangel will take his stand and will arise. Here we go, ready? Verse 7, Revelation chapter 12. Then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. And the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It has come at last, salvation and power, and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to the earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they had defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens. Rejoice. Now listen carefully. But terror will come on the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. 
When the dragon realized, that's the devil, that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman, that's Israel, who had given birth to the male child, that's referring to Christ. This is a battle that I believe has not taken place yet. I believe it is a battle that will happen, may be happening even now. And Satan is actually going to be thrown, in a sense, down to the earth. That is, he's going to be totally displaced from making any more accusations. He knows he has little time left, and he's going to attack God's people with a vengeance. Now, why is he able to do that? Why is he able to launch this attack? I want you to turn over to... uh, 2 Thessalonians with me to a passage of scripture that we looked at last weekend, all right? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I'm going to answer a question that I raised last weekend. Beginning of verse 1, it says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how, he, how we will be gathered to meet him. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. Don't be fooled by what they say. For that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself, defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God. Now we're talking about the Antichrist. We're talking about this part of that seven-year period when he turns against the people. We know he's been cast down out of heaven. Michael has defeated him. Look at verse 5. Don't you remember that I told you all about this when I was with you? And you know what is holding him back. Here we go. For he can be revealed only when his time comes. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. And I believe the one who's holding it back is Michael the archangel. Some people say it's the Holy Spirit. But I think if you look at Daniel carefully, what we're studying is Michael the archangel. In other words, what happens is Michael the archangel backs off. Satan's been cast down the earth and he backs off. And Satan now launches an attack against God's people to destroy them unlike any other attack that's ever been made. So bad, it says, that if the Lord had not cut short that time, nobody would have survived. How is Satan able to launch that attack? Because Michael the archangel backs off his restraint. At the same time, however, he arises to keep and protect a remnant that will go through this time of wrath described, and we'll see it later on in our series in the book of Revelation. So here's the point that I'm trying to make this weekend. The time that we're talking about here in Daniel chapter 12 is right in this area here, the last three and a half years of Earth's history. We know that the Antichrist is going to come against God's people, Jews and Gentile believers. We know that there's going to be the restraint against the Antichrist is going to be backed off. He's going to be revealed. He's going to have great latitude and great power to persecute. But we know that God's going to protect a remnant through this time. Those who have faith and believe in him are going to be actually raptured out. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 12 so we get the end of that story that we were reading there just a minute ago. Revelation chapter 12. I'm going to pick it up in verse 14. 
But she was given two wings, talking about Israel, like those of a great eagle, so she could fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness. Now, that doesn't mean every Israelite has wings, all right? It's symbolic language. It means to move swiftly. There she would be cared for and protected from the dragon for times, for a time, times, and half a time. That's three and a half years. Then the dragon tried to drown the woman with a flood of water that flowed from his mouth. But the earth helped her by opening his mouth and swallowing the river that gushed out from the mouth of the dragon. Highly symbolic language. It's referring to the Antichrist rhetoric. Verse 17. And the dragon was angry at that woman and declared war against the rest of her children, all who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. Then the dragon took a stand on the shore beside the sea. So he goes after this remnant. He can't get them because they're being sealed and protected. So he turns his attention toward the Gentile believers, the church, and seeks to persecute that church. Now with that in mind, I want you to come back to Daniel chapter 12 again with me, all right? And it's all going to start to fit in place. Daniel chapter 12. At that time, Michael, the archangel, who stands guard over your nation, will arise. Then there will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. But at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued, or whose name is written in the book of life will be rescued. You say, Pastor, wait a minute. It says, it says in that passage of Scripture, those who are your people. Isn't that talking about the Jews? I mean, where, where are Gentiles? Where, where's the church during that time? We're, we're very much around. Remember, Daniel has been asking God about what's going to happen to his people, the Jews. And he's getting an answer as to what is going to happen to the Jewish people. And those who have put their faith in Christ, those who are Messianic Jews, during that period of time, are going to be raptured up along with Gentile believers like you and me. You see, what Daniel didn't know is that in the New Testament, God was going to graft us into his family. There are three kinds of Israelites. Think about it this way. There are physical Israelites, those who are born blood descendants of Abraham. Then there are spiritual physical Israelites, those who are born physical descendants of Abraham, but who know Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And then there are spiritual Israelites. Those are Gentiles who have put their faith in Christ. Paul tells us in the book of Romans that what makes you a true Israelite, a genuine Israelite, is your faith in God. Just as Abraham put his faith in God, if you put your faith in God, you are in God's sight a true Israelite to him. So in that sense, all of us who know Jesus Christ personally, have had our names written in the book of life along with every Jewish believer. And when the Lord returns with the clouds in the air and we are taken up, we who are believers, Jew or Gentile, are going to be captured up together to meet the Lord in the air. And that's what we have to look forward to. In fact, as you continue to read this passage of Scripture, it gives us more insight. Look what it says. Then it'll be a time of anguish greater than at any time since the nations first came into existence. But at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. Verse 2. Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up. 
some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. Now Daniel's giving us, through the angel, a picture of the future. A time of judgment. Two resurrections. One resurrection to eternal life and the other resurrection to judgment and damnation. Jesus spoke about this in John chapter 5, verse 28, when he said, Don't be so surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son. And they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life. And those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. Now, when Jesus says those who have done good, he's not talking about works. He's talking about a faith relationship in him that evidences itself with good works. They will be resurrected to eternal life. But those who have refused him and continue to live in evil are going to experience judgment. What's interesting about this is that in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul tells us that that first resurrection that's going to happen for believers is right here when the Lord returns. We are taken up, we are with the Lord for an undetermined amount of time, it has been revealed to us in Scripture, until the wrath of God is finished being poured out. The second judgment happens in the book of Revelation chapter 20 around the great white throne of God. There the living and the dead who have not been believers will then be raised up to face the judge of the universe to be sentenced and then sent to spend an eternity in what the Bible calls hell. Now, having said that, I want to speak to a little controversy that's going on right now. Some of you may may be aware of it. Some of you may not be aware of it. But there's a very popular pastor just across the pond in Michigan by the name of Rob Bell. And uh, I've listened to Rob Bell. I've attended a couple of his conferences. And, and I've really appreciated him and his teaching. He's a, he's a very creative and insightful preacher. But just recently, he wrote a book called Love Wins. And it has stirred up all kinds of controversy. I've not had a chance to read the book yet. Anybody here read the book yet? All right? Anybody here heard of this controversy besides me? Okay, a few of you have. Several of you have. All right? So he's written this book, and uh, I've been reading the reviews on it by men that I really respect, uh, scholarly, godly men. And what they say is that the book borders on heresy, because what Rob Bell is espousing is something known as universalism. And universalism is simply the teaching that eventually all of us are going to make it to heaven. Now, in a video that Rob's produced to sell his book, he comes out and says, how can a God who truly loves, send millions and millions and millions of people to hell? That's his question. And you know what? I doubt there's anybody at either campus this weekend who hasn't asked that same question. I know I have. How can God allow that to happen? How could God allow something like this to take place? But it's the wrong question to ask. Because here's the reality. God doesn't want to send millions and millions of people to hell. God doesn't even want to send one person to hell. But it's our choice when we reject him and we rebel against him. And I was reminded of that passage of scripture that you find over in 2 Peter chapter 3. It says, 
But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord. And a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. God doesn't want to send anybody to hell. That's why he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on this earth and to give his life a ransom for, it, for many. That whosoever puts their faith squarely, deeply, centered in Christ and Christ alone can have eternal life. That's God's heart. That's God's passion. And that's our job. That's the church's mission is to make that known here, near, and far. This past week, I was uh, at my desk on Monday, in fact, when I got a phone call from a dear friend here at our church. And he said to me, you're not going to believe this, but Dr. Chuck Mustfeld was killed in a car accident. And uh, Dr. Chuck Mustfeld is a very special man to this congregation. And many of you may not even know who he is, but but he's had a a big impact here. He was on the, the search team. That brought me here. And uh, I got a chance to get to know him and his lovely wife, Linda, and their two daughters. And he was such a godly man. Dearly loved the Lord. A medical physician who then poured his heart out in, in uh, working with Bible study fellowship. And he went, moved down to San Antonio about seven years ago to work for Bible study fellowship. And head up his international side. And such a godly man. Such a good man. Such a, such a servant of the Lord. And when I heard that, I just, I just sat there, and I, I just sat there stunned. 56 years old, T-boned by a city bus that ran a red light. And I just thought to myself, you know, why does this happen? Why does stuff like this have to happen? As I absorbed it, and I thought more and more about it, I realized, you know, as awful as this is, I know that Dr. Chuck is with the Lord right now. And I know, I know... That when the Lord returns with those clouds in the air, that Dr. Chuck is going to be with him. And then he's going to have a brand new body. And together with all the saints and all those who've died in Christ, there'll be a tremendous home going, a tremendous time of worship and praise toward God. Because you see, no matter what happens to me here on this earth, No matter what takes place physically to my body or your body, the truth is if our faith is in Christ, we have the absolute promise of eternal life and the assurance that we will be with the Lord forever and ever. God is willing that none should perish, but all should come to eternal life. And right now, this weekend, right where you're at, 111th or here at the Hobson campus. Having been through this series in prophecy, are you ready to meet the Lord? If the Lord were to return this weekend or next weekend or three months from now or six months from now or six years from now and you're still alive, when that trumpet reverberates throughout the universe and he calls up his believers, will you be one of them? this weekend God who has everyone's days numbered 
knows the moment will be born and knows the moment will die. He was not caught off guard by Chuck's death. And I can't explain why he allows it to happen. He allowed the Apostle Paul to die. He allowed Peter to die. Every one of us is going to face death. And it's not about my plan for anybody. It's about God's plan. But when your day comes, when your time is finished, you close your eyes to this world. Are you ready? Are you ready to meet your Lord? Have you put your faith in Christ? Would you bow your heads? I'm going to ask Pastor Rich to come up at the 111th campus and lead you through a time of decision and meditation. But here, right now, this weekend, this evening, right where you are, is there anybody here who would say, Pastor, I, I have not embraced Jesus as my Savior. Or I am just so unsure. One day I think so, the next day I doubt. Why not this weekend? Why not tonight? Why not with absolute certainty make sure? Surrender your life to Christ. You're not buying fire insurance. That's not what this is all about. When I say surrender your life to Christ, I mean you are going to turn away from your sinful habits and your wicked ways. And you're going to start to follow Christ. And you're going to give your very best to Him and live your life according to His Word and His Spirit will be there to help you and encourage you and guide you, but you've got to be a serious follower. It really is a radical, radical shift, a radical change. And if you're ready to do that, I want to pray with you and help you make that decision right where you are. I'll lead you in a prayer that you can pray silently, but if that's you, that's you this evening, then I want you unashamedly with our heads bowed and eyes closed to raise your hand up as far as you can into the air. Say, that's me. Tonight's my night. Giving my life to Christ. Young or old, it doesn't matter. Anybody. That's me. Not playing games anymore. Life is too short. I want to live for Christ. If you raise your hand, pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, I confess to you that I am a sinner. And I cannot do this on my own. I need you. I invite you into my life right now to take over as my CEO. I want to follow you the rest of my life. Forgive me for my past. Thank you for this new day start. Father, I'm reminded this evening that the world gives us so many options. But all we need is Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give us Jesus. When it's all said and done, He's all that matters.